I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Chamber Breakers, presented by Verizon Business and Yahoo Finance. I'm Leanna Brinded, a director at Yahoo. And I'm Xavier White, CSR and Innovation Marketing Manager at Verizon Business. During this series, Liana and I will be inviting thought leaders to break the echo chambers surrounding key societal issues. For the third season, we're unpacking capitalism, whether it's broken and what we can do as businesses to pave a more equitable future for all. We're delighted to welcome David Kenny, CEO of Nielsen. David oversees 15,000 people across 100 countries, bringing about major change in society to help combat racial injustice. David also embeds diversity and inclusion into his leadership. Welcome. Delighted to be with you. First of all, before we get into the undoubtedly amazing conversation we're going to have and how you're changing so many things in society, but we'll get to that in a moment, is that first of all, really wanted to um, chat about your unique position that you've been at at Nielsen. You're the CEO, and then you've also been at the same time the chief diversity officer um, up until recently. So that's quite radical in the corporate world. First of all, what was the reasoning behind taking on that position until um, the actual change earlier in 2020 and 2021? First of all, it, it, it had to do with my purpose, our purpose at Nielsen, which is to power a better media future for all people. And uh, we take that responsibility really seriously. We want to make sure that media plays its role in uniting society, informing society, and bringing people together. Um, and we, we've got a a really important position to play in that. In order to do that, I felt it was important that everyone understand that uh, a diverse population internally at every level and advocacy for inclusion externally was key to that mission. So we needed to be accountable to it. And I said we need to be accountable to it the same way we're accountable to our financial results. And so uh, when when our last CDO retired, I took the title myself for a while mostly to make sure it was on the board agenda, that it was in every meeting, and that people knew that I was judging myself and them by our inclusion impact as much as our financial impact. Now, as we established that and we shifted the culture, um, because people were doing these things more as nice-to-dos versus need-to-dos, then I said, I can have a chief diversity officer help me, just like I have a chief financial officer help me, and we put Sandra in the role. But uh, in doing so, I didn't change my accountability at all on this, just like I'm accountable for the financial results. I just wanted them on equal footing. That's awesome, Uh, I love it. And it makes a lot of sense when you you articulate it like that. So I just wanna talk a little bit about some actions. Now, over the last year, there's been a spotlight on and calls to action around things like racial injustice. So what are some of the things that you've done and Nielsen have done to address this? Listen, a lot of this was in place before this year. Um, you know, the, the tragedy of, uh, of George Floyd and so many other uh, murders certainly put a, 
a spotlight on it for society and, and we've been active and involved um but uh you know, basically perpetuating the things we were doing before, the things we're doing internally to mentor and develop people, to give people a voice, to, you know, hold ourselves accountable for representation at every level, and the things we're doing externally to advocate for people, to advocate in the, in the United States that we not have a citizenship question on the census because it could bias the census, to advocate for voter rights, which I think is, is so important to sustaining a democracy, around the world to stand up for people with disabilities, to stand up for our LGBTQ colleagues um, and for their role in the media has been important ar around the world. So our, our advocacy continues, our products continue to hold us and our clients accountable for inclusion. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think we just have to be in it for the long run. I was really, you know, I was really glad to see the focus this year because more of my colleagues in the corporate world have stepped up, but we need to stay at it. This is going to take years to fix. Just like you said, it's going to take years to fix. And every person, every company is naturally on a different journey. And, you know, as you identified, Nielsen may have put some of these, um, you know, actions or initiatives in place already. And some, to be honest, like some corporations haven't yet, and they're still struggling. And one of the starting areas it feels is being able for um, employees and leaders to have a safe space to talk about these issues in order to inform and take action. And I know that one of your wishes that you've said for Nielsen is to be a safe space and for employees to feel empowered to uh, speak up. What would your um, practical steps be for those corporations that are still navigating that? And um, what would be the steps that they could do to foster that environment, but also to create a space where there is um, something actionable that can be taken from safe spaces and listening to those voices? Yeah, and, and listen, I think, I think safe space is about people being empowered by sharing their truth with people in power. Um, so a, a lot of what I remind myself and my fellow CEOs on this journey is there's a lot of power that comes with this job and you've got to share it. You've got to give it away. You've got to show vulnerability. You've got to show humility in order to create that space. So my willingness to admit my own recognition of systemic racism doesn't take away from my role as the CEO and it gives people a chance to know that I see them and that I've got empathy and my own vulnerability that I don't fully understand what people's experiences have been, but I'm interested and I wanna learn. So um, I, I think that's been super important. And you know, part of sharing the CEO title with Sandra was to create another place where people felt you know they had someone really who understood them that they could share with um, and that could then be shared with me and, and the rest of my team and the board and, uh, you know, other CEOs that we work with. So, uh, but again, I think that humility, vulnerability, and, and willing to, to share power and let go of it uh, in order to learn is super important in leadership. I think that's one of the most awesome things anyone's actually ever said on, on this podcast series. And we've had some amazing things. And hearing you sort of say that it is that humility to confess that you don't always know that is important to learning that is something that everyone needs to take away so yeah to sort of shout out to the fact that that you said that and thank you um now you, you were talking there about sort of um some changes and i was wondering could you tell us a little bit more about um 
the changes that you've seen happening for your company since then and since you've created those safe spaces? And have there been moments or areas where you thought you were particularly proud and that it's a sign that you're on the right path? Listen, I, I think the great success is being some seeing some folks really shine. Um, you know, we, we recently had a, a board meeting with a, a series of presenters from around the world. And, and one of the interesting advantages of, if there are advantages of this pandemic era and, and the use of video has been we could pull people in and to see, you know, this, you know, these, these rising women from the Middle East and India share what they have accomplished. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. During this pandemic and the, the business results, the product impact, the customer relationships, all while leading their families and their, and their colleagues through a really tough time. It was just awe-inspiring to see. Um, to see you know, some of our LGBTQ community um, really feel safe to step out, to, to be themselves and uh, to feel like they had a voice. And, you know, in, in some countries around the world, this is, you know, a real dangerous situation for people and for people to say, I felt safe at work. I could do more at work. Um, and, uh, and I felt connected in a period where I was, you know, working from home and, and therefore I could do, be my best self. Uh, and then again, accomplish great things as a result has been terrific. I've been really pleased as we've been growing, we've been uh, promoting people and I've been and hiring people. And I've been really pleased with the slates of recruits um, that we're seeing and the amazing talent, some of whom feel like they wanna work here because they can be their best selves. And some who are being considered for promotions that might not have been before because we're looking more openly. So, you know, I just see us getting stronger and people you know, really doing great things with the business because they feel seen and heard and because they've got a, a stronger sense of self-confidence. So as you mentioned, it's it doesn't matter in a way like how large or small a corporation is. We, we all know that when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, every single person, every single individual is on a different part of that journey. And of course, the larger the corporation, and of course, you oversee 15,000 people, not everyone is going to be at that later stage where they understand what the action is going to take. So where have been, have you seen those uh, challenges in bringing everyone along with the journey? And for yourself as CEO and with your leadership team, how have you been able to overcome those? To me, it's DEI and, and the equity part has been essential here. 
um, because the equity is about giving people what they need for their experience. And of course, you know, that is meant for some of our black and Hispanic colleagues who didn't have a lot of mentoring in their career thus far, doubling up on that and, and creating things like a diverse leadership network to help them thrive, you know, to some women who are navigating how to be seen in a, in a remote working environment and who want to stay, you know, with a more remote model, you know, helping them find their voice and, and having the equity to calling them has been key. But there's also equity in management and there's there's management uh, you know who need to learn how to manage uh, people from very different settings so helping people to really understand you know do they have the skills for this environment and if not you know what training can we give people what role modeling can we do what conversations can we have to help them be more successful uh, i've been encouraged by managers being willing to be a little bit vulnerable here and understand what they don't know about people who are different from them. I would also say, um, as our conversations got more frank, we also had people who felt comfortable um, sharing um, that you know, maybe they were a white male who felt like, boy, this this idea about white privilege, they didn't see it. They felt like they had you know worked hard and um, hadn't had privileges themselves and, and you know, were a little bit resistant that they felt like this was creating favoritism. Um, I think what was important was to acknowledge that and then have conversation with them and help them see another side. Um, and having everybody come to this journey that you know, DEI makes all of us better off. All of us are more successful when we're getting the full potential of all of our colleagues and all of us are on a journey. But giving people the chance to, you know, say what they were afraid of or, or what they thought might be affecting them, I think helped educate uh, in a better way and bring everybody along. So I've got limits. I think you, you got to believe in DEI to be successful at Nielsen, but we're also letting people you know bring their concerns and questions to the table and have really courageous conversations with everybody uh, from the place they're starting at. That's a really good combination of different things. And I, I like how you sort of mentioned all different kind of things from sort of training to, I guess, almost touching back on those safe spaces. But one of the things that you mentioned that I'd like to just know a little bit more about is the Diverse Leadership Network. Could you just quickly sort of tell us a bit more about it, please? Well, listen, I, part of the equity uh, that we're trying to solve is that different people have had different education opportunities um, and different folks have had different, you know, growth and mentoring opportunities. Uh, and so, you know, we, we certainly do want to see people achieve their full potential and, you know, part of creating equity for folks who have uh, gender differences, racial differences um, that may not have been as involved in all aspects of the business. This is a great way for them to learn. So maybe they haven't grown up in as much in data science or tech and they get a chance to do that. Maybe they haven't had as much exposure to finance. They get a chance to do that. So it's kind of a mini MBA to kind of level the playing field and give people broader exposure. Um, it also is a chance for people to do projects where they really shine and can be seen, um, which is great as we're you know looking for leaders that fill management positions in the future. So I, I really think it's been a, an awesome step forward in equity to create this leadership network as sort of an, an inside mini MBA uh, to develop people and create a more level playing field. 
Well, what I really love about that is that, you know, you keep bringing up the equity part and I'm really glad that you did because even even when I'm interviewing you and I say DNI, I didn't say DEI and that's a really, really key part. And one of the things that we're talking about, whether it's diversity leadership network, whether it's L&D programs, training, those safe spaces and conversations, the key part of it at the end of the day is to feel like we're paving more equitable future and what does equity look like when you're at work as an employee. And one of the things that, you know, it, it shouldn't be radical, but it is quite radical um, in the wider corporate world is to do quarterly pay reviews based on gender, race and ethnicity. And that is a huge opt-in. Um, could you give some background about when was the moment where we were like, we have to do this? And what have the findings been and what you've learned and what's the actions been taken once you do these quarterly pay reviews? So, uh, you know, I, I would say, you know, we do quarterly reviews. It was important that it be a component of it for sure. Um, in the same way that we look at financial results and, you know, people have financial targets, people are used to bonuses being tied to financial outcomes. But even there, you have to be very thoughtful about what you're measuring and that you're getting high quality financial outcomes, that you're you know, getting those in the right way with the right accounting, with the right ethics, with the right you know, view towards the mid and long term. And you know, there's a lot, of, a, a lot of things that have been put into financial measurement to make that work. We needed the same thing here. I think just starting to look at your representation in and of itself, you, you could have people promoting for the wrong reasons. You could have, um, I, I think, other kinds of biases, people gaming the system, you know, and, and I want to make sure we had none of that, that we had high quality diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I certainly am measuring representation, but I'm also measuring pulse surveys. Do people feel respected at work? Do people feel understood at work? Do they feel they can be themselves? Um, and are they doing better work as a result? To be clear, I'm not doing this just because it's a good thing to do. I'm doing it so Nielsen wins. <laughs> I'm doing it because I believe in, I, I am a capitalist, I believe in winning, but I think in order to win, I've got to get full potential out of every asset and the most important is, is every person. So, you know, this is, this is helping people really understand in these reviews, this is not a nice to do, it's not, you know, bonus points. This is how we win. And how are you doing at developing the assets under your control in order that they win and you win? Um, and I think it's a, it, it's a journey, but I think people are getting it more and more um, and beginning to understand it is as important as the financial results to our to measuring our success. Love it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why we're here and the conversation that we're having, really, and why we're putting this podcast out there so that more people listen and realize it's not just a nice to do. It's a thing to do to win as well. And on that thought of, I guess, winning and winning in the marketplace and on representation, earlier this year you launched Grace Night Inclusion Analytics, and that's to measure gender, race, ethnicity, and sexual orientation of on-camera talent and the audiences that are watching. So how's this rollout gone, and what do you hope will come from it? Listen, we, we're fortunate uh, in, in Grace Note to have access to most of the world's you know, professionally produced, produced content. Um, and to, to tag that data so it can be found. And, you know, that certainly helps people find shows to watch, but we thought it also helps people to find talent and uh, for talent to find audiences. So, you know, we use the metadata to create inclusion analytics so that we could uh, judge studios by how well they were uh, showing 
diverse talent on screen that we could judge networks on how well they were promoting their diverse talent. Um, and we could actually look at the matching of an audience with talent and, and prove that the more inclusive you are in casting and production, actually the stronger your audience is and therefore the stronger your results are and that you can win as a content producer as a result. And, and that has proven out. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to continue to get better at this, but it's, it is being used to make decisions. It is being used to, um, create a better dialogue between the talent, the producers of, of the content, the distributors of the content, and ultimately the sponsors. So I think it's, uh, it's certainly been a, a good start. I think people have been glad to have real comparable data, um, to have objective data. So it's, it's terrific. More work to be done. I, we, uh, you know, we try not to make judgments. We, we try to use, um, the race and gender and, uh, and sexual orientation as declared um, by by the artists. So we need you know everybody to declare who they are. We're working with uh, talent agents to help make that happen. Um, and I, I think the more we see that this actually helps people's career, the more people are gonna be comfortable expressing their whole self. And I think that's gonna help us a great deal. I do want this to be not a judgment by, by us, but, but actually an amplification of what people want to portray about themselves already. I think there's like power in numbers and data. Like I'm a huge data nerd. So like you got me already. Um, but like, I want to yeah. hear, like if you are thinking of rolling out Grace Note to actually be on off, off camera talent or in other areas, because I think this sounds like a really great opportunity in order to shine a spotlight. And again, it's not a judgment. It's just laying out the groundworks in data of representation. Have you thought about rolling this out in other areas too? Uh, we certainly have because we, we certainly think writers and producers um, have a lot to do with you know, how casting is done and how stories are developed. So we, we certainly are looking more at uh, behind the screen, the scene uh, behind the, uh, the, the screen as well. I, I also want to look really hard at the audience and audience development. Um, I think it is important when you um, have diverse programming that it's actually programming seen by all. Um, I, I think it's important that we be exposed to people different than ourselves. Um, so I don't want to just have uh, diverse casts for diverse audiences. I want to have diverse casts for for very inclusive audiences. And so the uh, you know the audience analytics being matched to the content analytics is another really important area. That's cool. Yeah, I wish you every luck with the expansion of that. And I guess thinking about how that is something that Nielsen's doing in the outside world, and we've talked about DE&I, but can we talk a bit about your, your CSR? There's often a misconception that CSR and DE&I are the same thing, and while there's a huge intersection, they're obviously you know not actually the same thing. So I wonder, could you share a little bit about how Nielsen approaches corporate social responsibility? Again, it's important to be good citizens. Um, so we, we, we call it uh, corporate citizenship. And uh, you know, we've got a group that helps us put measures in place around how responsible we are to the environment, uh, how responsible we are to, to folks who need uh, equitable help, uh, how responsible we are to uh, investing in communities because we do represent everybody uh, in, in creating a better media future for all people. <laughs> we gotta make sure all people are well served. Um, and I, I think that effort has been great. Um, in being able to be accountable. Um, I'm glad that some of our shareholders care. So we 
publish our information. We look really hard at sort of, you know, the right metrics to make sure that you, you can compare Nielsen to other companies. And, and we do hold ourselves accountable to be, uh, you know, at the upper end of citizenship. Um, but it also, I think just like, you know, and, and obviously DEI is, is one important part of being a good citizen. Um, it is important in all of this that we remind people of the loop back to our financial outcomes, the loop back to our product quality, the loop back to our growth rate, um, that these are connected. So we're, we're doing this to win <laughs> and to, to serve our customers and our shareholders well, um, to keep our employees engaged. Um, so it, uh, you know, it's very much core to the business. It's not a, a separate set of efforts. So David, there's so much more to talk about, but sadly with every episode, it comes to an end at some point. And, but we've got two more questions, but, um, for you before we round off, but one thing I absolutely want to highlight and for listeners on this podcast that I think that with everything that you've laid out in this interview and what you've been doing is really showing how leaders, platforms and companies can really make a huge difference in terms of not just for your employees, but also socially as well. And David, sorry, I'm going to blow a trumpet for you on this. Like not only have you done this within the company, but you've used your platform to be able to um, also um, help champion for change in society. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about um, how you use your platform to file for amicus brief with the US Supreme Court and what would the result. And because to me, that very demonstrates the difference between a actor, an ally and an accomplice for change. And I think that was a huge deal. Thank you for the compliment. I, the um, So the amicus brief was when the Supreme Court was considering the question of having a citizenship question on the U.S. Census. And um, we, we, we know, you know we, are demog we have a demography team. We, we do know that that question would have suppressed um, the response rate you know, from certain households, particularly Hispanic households. And that if that was wrong, all the business decisions that are based on the census, where to build hospitals, where to put schools, where to build stores, the ratings of media would be biased by undercounting a population. Um, and a lot of people were making very good civil rights arguments, but we thought it was important that there be an economic argument, a business argument. Um, the census reports to the Department of Commerce, its role is to help business. So we were clear that to, to mate its mission, it could not ask this question. Um, and I, I was pleased that uh, the Supreme Court did decide that that question didn't belong, that it, they didn't have good reason to do it. Um, our amicus brief was quoted uh, in the in, in one of many sources in the decision, so I'm glad we had a little bit of influence. And I think more than anything else, we showed that business needs to step up when a policy decision is going to affect business. Right now, um, I'm one of many. I think it's 700 CEOs that are speaking out in terms of voting rights in America. Similar point of view. We need to make sure everybody counts. We democracy and capitalism go hand in hand. We have to defend both. Awesome. And as a sort of one final takeaway question. So, you know, we're talking to you today to really show corporations and company leaders and those in management positions that they can make a big difference, that we can create a more equitable society. And, you know, you've been a fantastic case study on making seismic change. 
So could you impart any key advice for anyone that's listening or watching, particularly thinking of those sort of those company leaders, those people in positions to make the change on how they could create a good company culture and do some of the initiatives like you? I appreciate the compliment, but quite honestly, I'm not the one who created the change. Um, you know, so many of my diverse colleagues uh, created the change. You know, other people helped me understand what was going on in the census and why that mattered to demography. Other people helped me understand what was going on in the studios. Um, I think the most important thing I did was give my power to others and listen to them. Um, and so, again, I think uh, this comes with humility uh, and vulnerability. And quite honestly, you know, I think that makes you stronger uh, when you can do that. But uh, don't take this journey on thinking you've got the answers. You've got the power. Give it to others and they'll show you the way. I think that's so powerful. And thank you so much, David, for being on with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to unpack capitalism with you on this podcast. It's been a privilege for me too. Thank you. Before we go, we just want to ask, um, where can people find you? Can they follow you on social media or is there somewhere they can go to reach you? I am on social media. I, you know, I, I put forward opinions that relate to Nielsen. So, you know, you, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I try to be a pretty transparent guy. And, uh, you know, of course, Nielsen itself also is on those platforms and uh, is representing our views. So engage with us. We're happy to engage back. Fantastic. And thank you so much. And for everyone listening and watching today, that's the last episode of this season. But if you've liked it, which I'm sure you have, and especially with David's episode, then please don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, and all the rest of it. And watch some of the back episodes too. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.